TV Campfire Podcast. I was like, yep, okay, so you win for the week. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. I hate to sound like a broken road. Oh, no! <laughs> We're fans. It's one of the best things on television. Oh! oh! All right, we got you a hold of Oh, no, you didn't. We talk TV. That was the best scene ever. Like, All that right, blew I'll- me away. It was absolutely amazing. I just couldn't believe it. Welcome to the show. This is podcast number 506, and I'm Libya, your host, and this week we have returning guests. Hi, this is Allison, and I write reviews for Weedonopolis. And this is Tom. I'm professor of communication and media studies at Palm Beach Atlantic University in Florida. All right, let's start off with the news. First up, I have that Clarice uh, has been, looks like it's going to be canceled because the deal to move it to Paramount Plus fell through. Ooh. Mm. So they're, they, they stalled on, on negotiations, so it doesn't look like it's going to Paramount Plus, and apparently it's not going back to CBS, so unless they can make another deal. Similar thing just happened to Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. It is also Ooh. canceled because they couldn't make the deal work to move it to Peacock. Which I don't understand what all these, de- I don't understand what's going on with these deals, like why these are keep falling through. Um, C- they're probably to pay network rates right. for the streamers. And the people who, you know, the profit participants and whatnot are like, oh no, if you don't want to pay our quote, <laughs> bye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So C for Apple Plus, uh, Apple TV Plus has been renewed for season three ahead of the season two premiere, which will be in August. Uh, the trailer for that looked pretty good, by the way. Uh, they they got John Batista to be the 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 villain opposite Jason Momoa, and I was like, oh yeah, I'd pay to see that fight. Okay. Um, okay. Hacks has been renewed for season two. Yeah. Um, Lance Reddick has been cast to star as Albert Wester in the Resident Evil show on Netflix. Cast uh, Castlevania, which is ending on Netflix, is getting a spinoff for following the uh, descendants Trevor and Sifia. For those who watch Castlevania, know what that means. Uh, comedy. I watched, the th- I watched the first three seasons. Still haven't watched the fourth. Well, the fourth one just dropped, so it's not. Yeah. Uh, a comedy called Take Note has landed at Peacock. Um, Jamila Jamil from, um, The the Good Place has joined the cast of She-Hulk as a supervillain Tatiana. And I was like, supervillain? Hmm. Mm -hmm. I know. I was like, I'm not sure how I picture that, but we'll see. Uh, Joe Morton has been added to, to the cast to star in a Fox drama called Our Kind of People. And Tom, take it off with your side of the news. What do you got? Okay, uh, at ABC, Antonia Thomas is scrubbing out of The Good Doctor after four seasons. She was one of the original cast members. Uh, on Amazon Prime, Milo Ventimiglia is joining The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season four, and this reunites him with Amy Sherman, Pal- Amy Sherman Palladino. Palladino right. uh, and there's going to be a Smallville mini-reunion on Reacher, Christian Croke is joining the cast, which stars Alan Richardson. She she played Lana Lang on Smallville, and he played Aquaman in a recurring role. Uh, season one is, is going to adapt the first book, Killing Floor, and they've also announced that Harvey Gillum from What We Do in the Shadows is joining the cast, and Maxwell Jenkins, uh, Will Robinson from Lost in Space, will play Young Reacher. 
Uh, Apple TV Plus announced that Whoopi Goldberg will join the voice cast of their animated film, Luck. Um, HBO Max has announced that Mario Cantone, David Eigenberg, Willie Garson, and Evan Handler will all reprise their Sex in the City roles in And Just Like That. NBC cast Taraji P. Henson to play Miss Hannigan in Annie Live this holiday season. Shadow and Bone Season 2 got officially picked up early last Woo-hoo! week. And in a section I call, there's always room for J-Lo. She just inked a multi-year deal for her New Yorican Productions, which will provide television and film content for Netflix. The first two films have been announced. They're going to be The Mother and The Cipher. Of note to us, The Mother was written by Lovecraft Country showrunner Misha Green and will be directed by Nikki Caro, who most recently did the live-action Mulan. Uh, Netflix also ordered a, fi- a Far Cry anime series and Captain Laser Hawk, a Blood Dragon remix, both from Ubisoft. Matilda the Musical, starring Emma Thompson, Lashana Lynch, and newcomer Alicia Weir, will drop in December of 22. TriStar is going to release it theatrically in the UK and Ireland, and Netflix will release it everywhere else in the world. Leighton Meester, formerly of Gossip Girl, will star in their thriller The Weekend Away. Netflix also greenlit a Medea Homecoming, the 12th Medea film. No! <laughs> and Sweet Tooth has displaced Lucifer as Netflix's number one TV show. Paramount Plus has announced Giovanni Ribisi, Colin Hanks, and Dan Fogler of the Fantastic Beasts movie series are joining the offer, the behind-the-scenes of The Godfather uh, limited series. Peacock has ordered a live action Ted series from Seth MacFarlane. Oh, I saw that. I don't even like Ted the movie. I don't like Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> and the MacGruber series has added Sam Elliott, Lawrence Fishburne, and Mickey Rourke to the cast. And in <laughs> It's Not Completely Dead Yet, Roku has ordered Die Heart Season 2 after the XQB series Shattered Records. So well, I mean, I have a man. friend who worked on the first one, and he's kind of he's kind of jazzed about that because that means well he gets to go back to work. Um, <laughs> but he uh, he was saying it was good, so I never watched it because I couldn't figure out QB uh, that was because I refused to watch television vertically on my phone. Seriously, <laughs> so I never. He was like, "No, it's really good," and I was like. It won't turn on my phone. He was like, I made the version that'll turn on your phone. And I was like, yeah, it's not working. Sorry. QB sucks. <laughs> um, so I don't have a Roku, so apparently I can't watch it. So, Oh, well. All right, let's start off with the shows. First up, we're going to talk about Superman and Lois. And this episode, like every episode of this show has been getting better and better. And I'm just, I'm loving this series. And so I, what I really liked about this one was uh, Lois had, like, a moment with her father and just broke it down for him. Like, look, my son's got this weird virus because you shot his dad with this, had made this gas. You didn't know what the repercussions were going to be and blah, 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 blah. And then on top of that smackdown, he then had his grandson come in and give him a smackdown, like, double and I was like, man, that was, I mean, they were honest, but it was just, it was, it was just, I actually almost felt bad for him. Just a little bit. Almost. <laughs> almost. 
at least Grandpa did ultimately help save the day at the end of the episode. Yes, yes, he did. Um, but it was it was a close one there, and I think I hope his attitude changes now that he's had that SmackDown talk. Um, but I have to say the virus that uh, that not Jonathan Jordan had was crazy. Like he was sneezing and everything was freezing. <laughs> that was that was like what is going on. And the only thing I have to say, the episode slowed down every time we went to the the talent show. I was like, what is going on with this story? It's so boring. And then it all paid off at the end. And I was like, oh, all right. That's what that was about. Yeah, I was like, okay, I get it. I mean, the big reveal was that Lana's husband made a deal with um, Edge behind her back. Right. And then he got brain swiped. And and then he, yeah, and then... In kind of in retaliation for her not choosing him for the uh, whatever fellowship or the fact whatever. that they're doing that stuff behind each other's back means I feel like they don't need to be married. Like all that could, that's a, some big secret happening. It's big secret keeping between well, a married she's couple. She's at least trying to protect him. Right, he is not. He's got ego issues. He does have. You know, ego. He's, he has ego issues and he has drinking issues too. And they they established that right. from the beginning, which is. The, the the thing that I, I really like about this show is that it's it's like the anti-Berlanti Berlanti show. <laughs> it's like they tied him up in the basement whenever the writers went to write this this series because, you know, it's it does everything the opposite of what usually makes me crazy about one of his shows. You know, you have honest real, uh, discussions between characters. You have adults acting like adults. And if you have adults acting not like adults, then it's set up at the beginning. Why? You know, like right. the father uh, figure here, you know, who, who from the beginning is a jerk. And he has he's he's like barely maintaining, you know, uh, recovered drunk. And and all of and and you know the the financial situation is not helping anything. So it's it this has all been established about his character. So it's it doesn't seem out of character or like oh we're doing this for a convenient plot device when his when this actually happens. It feels organic like they led up to it properly. So I I really like that. I thought I thought that the whole episode and in fact you know we, you were talking before about the the grandfather. And the the way he redeemed himself at the end, what I like about him is that he could, and I think in other of the DC DC shows, he would be just a mustache twirling villain. Right. He'd be he'd be rotten to the core. And if he did redeem himself, it would be like in season three for and no he, particularly and, good and reason. And he's like kill himself on a on a sword, and they'd be like, "I have redeemed myself." Yes. Yeah, or he or he'd just become you know a good guy for for no good reason, and suddenly be you know on Team Superman, and like then you know it it just it would make no sense. But with this, it's like he's he's not purely evil. There is a rationale for what he does. Yes, yeah, I can understand. You know? And when he says it, you're like, oh, I guess that makes sense. But it still makes you a crappy granddad. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, from his perspective, if you look at it from, you know, he's seeing Superman as a walking weapon. Right. And, and there is a potential threat if something goes wrong. And, you know, if, if you read enough comics, you know things go wrong. So there's, he's not, not completely, you know, uh, unjustified in, in, in going in that, in that direction. 
So, um, yeah, I, I think I, I like the way the characters are written. The only thing that, that I thought was silly in this episode was when they, they brought, um, uh, not Jonathan, the other Jordan. son, I keep... Jordan. Jordan. When they brought Jordan to the, the Fortress of Solitude to cure him, and he goes, this is really going to hurt, and they hit him with laser beams, and it, it apparently burns his lungs or something, but his jacket is fine. It's a pointed laser that goes inside the butt. Just don't worry about uh, it. The jacket's made of Kryptonian fibrex. That's it. That's it. Yeah. At least Ghost Dad was less of a douche this time. Well, that's because yeah. he was a ghost, I think. I feel yeah. like that was the reason. Well, no. The, fr- the first time we met Ghost Dad, he was a complete douche. Oh, I know. I'm agreeing with you, but I'm saying because we only got the voice. Yeah, we didn't, we oh, didn't yeah. see him. That's, that's what I'm saying. Interact. Yeah. I bet you the actor got paid the same. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's wrap this one up. We're giving it a thumbs up. Thumbs uh, up. Next up, we're going to talk about Loki. And this was the series premiere. And I will say it was high on comedy and high on exposition. And the yeah, exposition, it was a, it's a lot of exposition. But they had to establish a whole new like group Bang. of people. Like a whole new group of people, a whole new timeline, a whole new... They had a lot to establish in the first episode, so I'll give it to them somewhat. But and I did really like the comedy that they put into this episode and the camaraderie, like that worked. But wow, about twenty minutes in, I was like, "Whoa, this is a lot of exposition." So see, that didn't bother me because I thought that they handled the exposition really well. I was I was actively interested in the conversations. Um, and you know they, they like you said they had a lot on their plate they not did. only to introduce this, this this whole new group of people and this organization and how things work in this alternate reality um, where where you know infinity stones paperweights uh, <laughs> that was hilarious that was brilliant <laughs> it was just a drawer full of this stuff it was hilarious. Um, and you know, so they have all this stuff to set up, and all these new characters, and the you know the something that another villain is doing off to the side that he's going to get sucked into. But they also had to redeem Loki because at this point in the timeline, they, they just have. took him. I don't they think took they him re- at the most. Well, you know, but when I say redeem, what they've done is, I mean, he's not a hero. But they've taken him from the timeline where he's at his most villainous and had to move him into the area of anti-hero. And I think that they did that really well. Because, I mean, you know, of course he's still a character that we can't completely trust. He's he's a character, he's the god of mischief. But he's he's now seen what his future was supposed I, to be. I, I all actually, the tragedy. I actually think that He's still going to, because they reveal at the end that the villain they're trying to chase is him. So, right, but it's a, it's a variant of him and each Loki, I would assume, is unique in some way. I think that it's a time wibbly wobbly and I think because he saw his death that he's trying to destroy the main timeline so that stuff doesn't happen because my, my theory is that this guy is attacking all these teams to steal those bombs, those those reality bombs. To, so if he gets enough, I think he's going to try to destroy the main timeline. And unfortunately for us, we know the name of the next 
uh, Doctor Strange mo- movie, which is the Multiverse of Madness, meaning right. that the main timeline gets blown up. And it looks like that mm-hmm. is the point of this series, is they're going to blow up the main timeline. Well, I don't think that it's going to happen in this series because I don't think that they're going to have something that key happen in the TV series that affects the movie. movie. Yeah, I think that they, you know, anything that affects the next movie is going to be in a movie. Um, Whereas, whereas things in the TV shows are going to are going to play into it. But not in a way where if you haven't seen the TV show, you're going to be sitting there. All you have to do playing, is say in the movie, something blew up the main timeline. And they you, you got to watch the series to find that out. I seriously think that's how this is going to end. Is how is whoever the bad guy, the, the low-key bad guy we have in this timeline, is going to get enough of those bombs and blow up the main timeline. That's where mm-hmm. I, See, I think I think that their object is against less the timeline than the TVA itself. Because remember, all the people who are being killed so far are TBA agents. They're not interested in, in, in killing anybody else. It's yeah, TBA agents. But they're not really interested killed. in killing the TBA agents. I think they just want to get those bombs that the TBA agents bring. I think that's mm-hmm. the point. So. It could be. Um, don't forget that we know that the villain for Ant Man 3 is Kang, the Conqueror. And, so, and he's a time traveler. So I would not be surprised if we get at least some kind of backstory or, you know, I'm not saying that Jonathan Major is going to show up, but I would not be surprised if they use this to kind of set that up because and we are getting a new Captain America full on in the next Captain America movie as a result of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, so uh, the movie, the TV shows directly affect, they can directly affect the movie. So that's the whole point. They're like, you have to watch these TV shows to link everything together. It's very. Right. But remember, also in the last, in the last, in Endgame, he was uh, Sam was handed the shield by by Steve Rogers. So even if you haven't seen Falcon and Winter Soldier, you know that at the end of Endgame. The, the shield is passed over to to Sam. You may not know all the details and what went on and the conflict. You don't think you, you know don't that think he's... that you don't think that that the that the foe Captain America is going to show up in Captain America four. He's totally going to show up in Captain America four. He could, but I mean, they can introduce him in a way where it's not absolutely necessary. I think that, that I think I think they are going to make it necessary. I think they're that's kind of the point. They want you to buy Disney Plus. They want you to watch everything. So it's it's very sixties Stan Lee where they would put in issues of comic books, see, you know, Avengers number four for how Captain America returns <laughs> truth leader. Yeah. So um I really you know, I've always liked Owen Wilson and he's kind of been on a hiatus from showbiz, but man, the two of them make a great comic yeah. duo. They're oh, good. Yeah. They're they good. play off each other well, and it's funny. I um, I watched uh, Variety had some had a TV online virtual TV conference panel thingy, but they had uh, the all the Marvel stars. You know, they had uh, Falcon, Winter Soldier, uh, Scarlet Witch, Vision, and and Loki, the actors who play them, and people were teasing. Um, People were teasing Tom because evidently he had like a Loki crash course and Mackie was joking and saying, I heard it was six hours. It's like, it wasn't six hours. It was maybe only one hour. 
but there was a whiteboard involved. <laughs> <laughs> because he's having to explain to the the crew and Owen Wilson all of Loki's history is they used a lot of flashbacks from yeah. the movies. Yeah. Which and and they needed to be very specific that this is Loki from Endgame when he steals the Tesseract mm-hmm. versus Loki from the beginning of Infinity War where Thanos ganks him. So right. right. And there's a lot of character development that happens in between and they had to kind of get him psychologically to that point without spending all that time. And I thought that, you know, especially when they showed his the death of his mother. Yes. That, I think that was the turning point. That's where you saw the egg crack. Yep. And 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 after that, you know, he was he was like open to to what they were suggesting. So I think I, I think I'm really interested in seeing how they develop him in this show and where he goes and where the storyline goes and just the combination of of fan service and and humor in this, you know, really has me intrigued. I'm I, I'm loving this show so far. And all the Loki lovers out there, the fact that they had that nice topless shot of Tom Hiddleston showing that he's been working out a lot. Thank you. I'm sure there were much like I said, fan service. But that DB Cooper episode made me laugh. (laughs) That was great. All right, we got to wrap. The weird thing is, this really looked like the drawings of him. Let's wrap this one up. Uh, So we're saying thumbs up. Oh yeah. Oh definitely. Next up, we're going to talk about Big Shot and this episode. I have to say, I had a similar issue I had with the Superman episode, where it's like you're spending all this time at this talent show versus they're spending all this time on the play. And I was like, what's this play got to do with all the stuff that's going on? And it nailed it at the end. I was like, whoa, that was brilliant. But, I mean, the whole point was uh, Korn, he has his interview, he meets the players, he's feeling it, he's feeling his juices, he's he's getting all hyped about going back to what he was. But at the same time, he knew he was going to be betraying all the other people in his life by doing it. That was why he was like, let's keep it on the down low. Let's not tell anybody. Because I think he genuinely didn't want to tell anybody. And I think he knew that what he was doing was going to disappoint them. And he was like, oh, they're kids. They'll get over it. And it was like what he was saying to himself to make himself believe it. But I don't think he really believed it. And then when you get that moment at the end when his daughter just calls him out. And that the the amount of emotion she put into that moment i was like whoa dude you were in trouble <laughs> so tom what'd you think i loved it and the um j- i just felt so sorry for holly when oh yeah Nicole brown has to tell her that the board will not approve you because being promoted to head coach i was like oh you need to leave that was basically what i was thinking i was like you're gonna have to leave and come back to be a coach you can't just stay they're only going to see you as a second yep you know she i was like she has to leave and then when the other coach called her and was like i'm calling you my and i was like is she playing a mind game with her or is she for real that i'm not sure about seriously (laughs) like i was like i i would have told her let's discuss this after the game you know let's not even deal with this right now let's talk about it after the game and then we can genuinely talk about it but yeah she she was mind she was messing with her head um, go ahead. The, uh, the um, 
still the way Marvin's been dealing with it, I, I wish he wasn't so cavalier with it. I mean, it, it seems like he just doesn't know. He doesn't know teenagers at all. Right. Whether his own teenagers or the team. Right. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. Because he's like, oh, no big deal. It's like, dude, this is a huge deal for them. And it's going to be somewhat traumatic if he did leave. Right. But he's just, you know, again, I. it's interesting because even though John Stamos wasn't cast as like, I, I don't quite see him as the chair throwing type that right. the character is supposed to be the way he just cavalier is so self-centered and it's all about him versus anybody else, including his own daughter, including his, uh, his girlfriend. Oh, I did love the little, the little, whatever was going on between, uh, Oh, when they had the couple session. Yes. That was pretty funny. Like they're like, let's have a couple. He's like, I don't know what's happening here. It's like, it's basically a coupling counsel session. He's like, you're not a counselor. He's like, you, you ran a prison. <laughs> but he did a good job, man. He really did. He 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 figured out what the issue was for everybody. So, but yeah, it was a good episode. It's just um I was wondering how they were going to stretch it out to 10 episodes and now we know. <laughs> it's good. They're going to get great job. Yeah. So, thumbs up for me on that. Definitely. Uh next up we're going to talk about Hacks and it's the last two episodes, episode 9 and 10. And the first episode, what happened? The first episode was her interview where mm-hmm. she lied to Deborah and said she was going she was going to a doctor's appointment. And I was just kind of mad at the the black dude assistant. I can't remember his name. Uh, COO. Thank you, COO. He, he's, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, but I mean, what was all that jealousy? Like, he had so, it was like, he felt like she couldn't have two people in her life at the same time that he had to be the most important person in her life. It's a control thing. And I've seen this up close on one of the shows I worked for. There was somebody who was in a position somewhat like his and would completely threatened by anybody else, you know, who had a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It it was just extra. And it really irritated me because generally speaking, I like his character I did not like his character on that episode. Well, I thought, you know, jumping ahead to the next episode, I did like the ramifications of that because it cost him his relationship. Because Wilson tells him, you know, the hot water guy, tells him, you're already in a relationship with Deborah, and there's not space for me, and then gives him, you know, just, you know, bye. Yeah. Yeah. But see, it seemed understandable to me because, you know, he says that he's been with her since... He literally was a kid. Right. I mean, she she plucked him out when he was like, you know, because he, he just apparently was this accounting genius, marketing genius when, when he was a teenager. So he's been with her that long. And and so, yeah, I can see where he he really does have no life outside of her, which is not healthy. But not it's, at all. it's kind of the way it's worked. So, yeah, I, I, I see where he was coming from. But also, I think that Deborah, when she felt the betrayal from Ava, she didn't, I don't think she gave him the promotion to manipulate him. I think she gave him the promotion because she genuinely realized that she treats people poorly and wanted to make sure that he wouldn't leave her. And so she gave him what he was owed. And she like, I did a good job. And she did. He just doesn't know how to deal with that. 
-hmm. Like, he doesn't know how to have his own life separate from her. Um, Which is a work-life balance thing. Yes. Problematic. Yes. And um, her and Ava's relationship, oh my God. They made me so tense. So tense. It ran the gamut. I did like that Ava, when she when she goes to the meeting on the Paramount lot, even yes, though... Yes, I recognize the lot. Thank you very much. It's near where my <laughs> office building was when I was a junior exec back in the 90s. That's what I, 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 did, was, I was all over that lot, so yeah, go ahead. But I did like that Ava realizes that Kirby Halbert piece, they're just trolling for dirt about Deborah to put in the show. Right. And they, they basically, just, you know, that it was kind of low class and just... And, yeah. and kind of goes against everything that Ava's against. So it was good of her to walk out of that meeting, although it was funny that she... Oh, she's, she's like, I'm walking out with my dignity. No, not really. And then take really <laughs> But then, you know, she turns around later and gives them exactly what they were going for without even the benefit of a job to, to you know... No money it. involved, right? So, yeah, she, she was just, just drunk and hurt. She was, she, yeah, yeah um, drunk and hurt. Got this, impulse, you know, this is... And, I, I gotta right. say, I marathoned this like all last night, the entire series, because you know I hadn't watched it from when you guys were were starting. So I, I literally saw the whole thing last night, and I, you know, as I like the series, I enjoyed it, um, but mainly I think it's because for me, uh, Jean Smart, because yeah. I think she holds this together. She's Absolutely, the glue yeah. that that holds this together. And unfortunately, on the other side, um, Hannah Einbinder, um, who who plays Ava, is she is just this is not a fight between equals. It it really oh. is not. No, um, I, we never said that. <laughs> if you okay, listen yeah, to, I, I deliberately did not listen to your your yeah. previous conversations about this because you know I didn't want to be spoiled. So I don't know if this this has been brought up, but I it really, has been. she is such a weak link in in this series. I actively don't like her. I I don't like her character, and I should like her character. I should be able to you know. Like I go I go back I, just, I go don't. back and forth. Sometimes I like her, sometimes I don't. But she definitely is not the equal to Jean Smart. We've never said she's that. not at all. And then the and the problem with the character I think too is that she's supposed to at least be funny. And and that's I think the weakest part of this show. I like when they have just relationships between the characters, but whenever they're doing comedy, when they're do- doing the stand up or doing the prep for the stand up, like trying out lines and things like that, it's not funny. It is badly not funny. I I think I actually laughed in the whole series maybe three times. And so I found like, and none of it was at the actual standup, you know, things that were, that were supposed to be like, you know, punchlines. It was just like things that just happened that happened to be funny. But, you know, that's, that's kind of critical for a show that's supposed to be about comedians. And you're supposed to think that they're good comedians, or at least Gene Smart, you know, is, is capable. I mean, she's been, you know, working for, for years and years and, and nothing's funny. Um, so that, that was a, a flaw for me. Um, so, it, you know, it's like, no matter how much I may like the characters, if I'm thinking that, you know, maybe you should be in another field because this is not amusing. Um, well, I want, is, I want Tom, Tom to speak for a second. Uh, go ahead, Tom. 
Yeah, I, I think the thing with with um, with Ava is she's in. She's basically kind of a very stereotypical millennial. So I think that part of the thing is you've got a generation gap, and then the white. There's so many. There's so many forces at play. But the big thing is that as awful as a mother as Deborah has been to DJ, um, Ava's parents are also, or Ava's mom is equally awful because right. she just she does not get her daughter at all. And so you have this weird surrogate mother-daughter relationship. And I really like the fact that Ava was able to bond with DJ and become a good friend to DJ and gave a better wet, wedding toast than DJ's lunkhead now husband. Right. But uh, Our birthday toast. But the, the character relationships are so complex. What uh, One of the interesting jokes that's not funny, that Ava thinks is funny is, you know, I had a nightmare that I got a voicemail message. Not funny. Yes. But no, at all. somebody who's, you know, of the texting Zoom generation, you know, that might be a concern. But I just think it's brilliantly written. It's, I mean, it's got aspects of All About Eve. It's got aspects of Sunset Boulevard. It's just, and then when you look at the fact that the main comedian that Deborah is patterned after is Joan Rivers with the backstory about almost. Yeah, well, the- that's pretty obvious, yeah almost the first female to host a uh, nighttime talk show. They started with there and then changed enough stuff so that, you know, that uh, the daughter and the rest of the estate can't sue. Melissa and the estate can't sue. But it's such an interesting about the changing roles of women, not just in the entertainment industry, but just in the, you know, the generations between Gene Smart, you know, who's 69 in real life, and Hannah Einbinder is 25 or 26 in real life. Mm-hmm. So, and then knowing that she's Lorraine Newman's daughter, and you know, one of the. I did the, not know that actually until I pulled up IMDb. <laughs> I was, she was just, you know, yeah. Someone. So, just the fact that she was, you know, one of the first prominent funny women on TV. I love the show unreservedly. And the stuff with Kayla and the agent was cringeworthy but still hilarious because oh my god he's like i think i'm being me too and i'm the me in this too yeah <laughs> real quick shout out they dedicated the episode to smart slate husband richard gilliland because he passed during the film right before they started filming this episode oh okay yeah so she was fresh off of her own personal grief and they paused but she came back sooner than they expected her to to finish okay so, but. I did not know that. All right, well, uh, let's move on. The next thing we're going to talk about is Star Wars Bad Batch. And this was the first episode that I've liked in a long time. <laughs> so, and mainly because they dealt with the arc. Thank you very Thank much. You. Um, so they're like, okay, we got these chips in our heads. And we finally get Rex, who has been a main character through uh, Clone War- Clone Wars. And he basically explains to them what the chip is, like what it does, how dangerous it is, and that, no, dudes, you've got to get that out of your heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they actually, having um, the most kind of adorable character in Wrecker, Wrecker's like a little kid. 
And to have him become super dangerous and scary was kind of scary. And trying to kill the little kid. Yeah, all of that was, it was really well done. I was like, wow, this is a good episode. So, yeah, it shows that they can do good episodes when they choose to. Let's let's keep this trend going, guys. Let's not um, slip back into standalone boringness. Let's go on a on a run to steal some toothpaste. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> let, let's keep with the arc because my thing is, once they all get the chips out of their heads, they should go grab the the sniper dude. They should go. They should grab him and get his chip out. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, get the band he, back together exactly i'm like once they under because they didn't really understand why he switched on them like they didn't really fully comprehend it and i think now that they've saw what happened to wrecker they're like oh okay so to them that means they can get their friend back if they grab him and get the chip out so that should literally that should logically be their next move and if it's not i'm going to be mad about it well we've got two episodes to find out oh there's only two left yeah, I think so. No, I, I I think they're doing. A, I've heard that they're doing a longer season, like sixteen to eighteen episodes. Oh, are they really? Okay, it's well, it's animated, right. so they're they're used to doing longer episodes for the animated shows. Okay, I got the impression that it was just two more, but good, good. All right, so any hopefully, other, yeah. Any other thoughts? More on arc. Um, I just thought it was really well done in terms of just the the um, the design of the thing. It was one of the better looking episodes that they've had for a while. Um, just the design of the ship and the scary look of, of you know, this, this dilapidated thing that they're moving through was, was really, really well done. Um, and, you know, like you said, it, it, it let the characters interact and be the characters. So I, I'm hoping for more of the same. Tom? No, I thought it was a great episode. I think that they've got a... If you're going to do standalone episodes, you have to make it crucial to whatever the arc story is. Because if it's just like this side mission, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap that up. We're giving this one a thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, Next up, we're going to talk about Sweet Tooth episodes three and four. And episode three was the dinner party that Tom was freaking out about later. Right, Tom? You sent me a text about that. Yep. And then episode four was, uh, well, it was the dinner party and them Sweet Tooth and the big man trying to get on the train and uh, they get captured. And then episode four was they get brought in by this group of teenagers who think that they're in, um, what is that, Lord of the Flies. Um, so, or Miri. <laughs> or Or what? Peter Pan's Lost Boys. Yeah, yeah. Star Trek episode with. Oh, it's a Star Trek episode with Miri. They have no grups. Pick your reference. No grups. Yeah, correct. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about the doctor and his wife because the doctor definitely doesn't want to like cut up children to make this medicine, but it felt like his wife was kind of guilt tripping him into. She's like, I know this is hard. I know you've made a lot of sacrifices. But you know, this is this is the thing, right? And I was like, wait, is she pushing him to do that? It really felt like she was like kind of passive aggressively. Oh yeah. Yeah, she was passive aggressively like, yeah, you're gonna have to do this if you want me to live. But you know, you don't have to do it 
if you don't want to, and I'll just die, and that'll be okay, right? And I was like, what is happening here? Because I genuinely thought that when she read the the book and found out how they were making that medicine, she would have been just like, you know what? No, nah, we can't do that. And that's kind of how she started off, but then very quickly that was not how she felt. So I was like, ugh, okay. Not necessarily a... It, more of a self... I don't know where you've categorized that person. It's like life or death. Let children die to save myself. Uh, how do you feel? All right. Open up to discussion. Who wants to go first? Um, if you want to have your mind blown, you know the general character who comes in and saves the Sings? The general character? What? The general with the beard and the shaved head or whatever? Wait, are the you... Gen- what are you talking about? We're talking about the sweet things, The doctor and his wife at the dinner party when they right. get wrapped up and they set the house on fire. Right. The general and the, all those guys come in and rescue them. I don't remember that. How do I not remember that? I don't know what you're talking about. They just walked out of the party. Yeah, the dinner party was in episode three. Where they set the guy on fire. Yeah, they set the guy They just walked out. They didn't need to be rescued. What are you talking about? The, um, I think, I think there's, there must be another dinner party later on. Yeah, because I don't know what you're talking about. I might be on the wrong episode. Yes, I feel like you're on the wrong episode. Okay. Yeah, because the dinner party we saw, they wrapped a guy in... Saran wrap, wrap, and then they and lit him on fire. Fresh, I guess, is they set him on fire. And then okay. they walk yeah. out. Yeah, and there's no okay. rescue needed. And, okay. and then for some right. reason, even though they needed to burn down his house to, to make sure the uh, the virus didn't get out, they felt it was perfectly okay to eat the pecan pie that Oh, yeah, did. the dude took the uh, pie? I was like, what's going on, dude? Also, I did think it was weird that, okay, they burned down the house to stop the virus from spreading, but all of them had been in the house. Yes. So I was like, shouldn't you guys go into quarantine? You know? Um, ready. Uh, now they're just going to eat the pie that he made, apparently. You know, well, and they had already they, eaten they, the food. Eating the food, that's the thing. They drank the sangria that he was making. Right. They ate the food. They're, they're, they should all be infected, you know, and, and yet apparently they're just standing outside, you know, watching him burn, eating yeah. pie and singing Old Lang Syne. Yeah, that it was just, weird. It made absolutely no sense. None. Um, I, I am so, over this show. I am done with this show. I struggled to get through four episodes of it. None of it makes sense. The characters are badly written. They're contradictory at best, paper thin at worst. Um, the show is just saccharine and 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 it, it. I mean, it lives up to its name. It's Sweet called Tooth. Sweet Tooth. Well, yeah. What do you want? Yes. And and that is just. I mean, if if that's what you want to watch, is something that's that's gooey and ooey and icky and and sweet. Well, it wasn't, and, and icky. somehow combines that with the 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 end of the world of the the apocalypse. Then I guess that's for you. But it was just too weird for me. And the characters are so sketchily drawn. I mean, the father of the kid it was more of of a uh, a plot device than a person. He just you know gets him into the well, forest. That's a, yeah, that's the same as Bambi. Bambi's kid, um, parent did the same thing. It's a very similar trope. Right, but but you know, I mean, it's like I should I should care when he dies. You know, I should feel so. I felt for Bambi's mother. I didn't care about this kid's dad. I don't know if I felt baby You know, I mean, it's it's just, it, it's just not written well. And you were you were saying before about the sings, um, you know, the, they have this moral dilemma of he's going to have to vivisect 
living children so that she can get this this cure or it's know, not it's even not really a cure her, it's like a no it's it's a stopgap yeah exactly um just just to 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 keep her going and you'd fit and, and like you said you'd figure um they're supposed to be decent moral people so she'd say well yes i want to live but not at the cost of this right that's and, what i thought she was gonna say and instead she's the, and i can even understand it if he's the one who says well because i love you so much i'm going to do i'm going to tell you that's not what i'm doing but i'm going to do it anyway because he can't lose her i'd even understand that but it's her who's saying you know what honey torture and kill all those little children because i want <laughs> um and i just can't see her as a moral character anymore oh i know I, that's, I, that's kind of my point i just, can't either it's just not possible but they, uh, we're, we're supposed to think they were supposed to sympathize no i don't think them. so i don't think so i think very clearly you're not supposed to think she's a good person but uh let's move on tom what were your your thoughts because apparently you've cheated and gone further than the rest of us yeah sorry uh the the train the train episode i thought was a lot of fun yeah and just in terms of you know getting some more backstory of big man and then getting to know the um uh what's it is it bear yeah getting to know bear a little bit more because initially i didn't trust her and you know i'm like she's up to no good but no it seems like she just had you know commitment issues (laughs) (laughs) but um but no, I I really like the show. Uh, remember, there is source material, Allison, so they're not, you know, they, they have some leeway to deviate from source material, but usually they try to stay in the broad sweeping strokes of it. So what what was it, a book before? Comic or book. Comic? Graphic novel. Okay, so it was a lousy comic before it became <laughs> a lousy No, no, but let Tom, let Tom, let Tom, you've said your opinion. Let Tom talk. Go ahead. No, I I like the kid. I like Nanzu and Anzi. Um, I like him, yes. I think the the Singh's moral dilemma, I kind of disagree with you. I think it's interesting that she's the one pushing him to do something unethical because she's selfish and wants to live. And he's reticent because he does love her, but he knows it's... I mean, the first, you know, the Hippocratic Oath. Do Do no harm. harm, Period. So I don't know how that storyline is going to end for me sometimes when it cuts to them and they have to because kid you know when you have minors in the show you can't build the entire show around the minor because you can't use him or her but so much so but it, it seems like the plot does let sag it, it slows significantly yeah it also so, sags when it goes to the zoo and the other woman who's raising uh, the, the i don't know child. i like i like the kid i don't I like even know what's going on with that well it's the sanctuary I, I they're I mean, building the kid is okay she's cute but you know i mean it's just the story doesn't seem i i know that at some point it's, it's no going it's to it's going to be the sanctuary yeah it's the sanctuary that they've been advertised like the time is not going in in sync so the sanctuary that's been accepting all these hybrid kids is the zoo and so we're seeing how it started, how she started accepting people into the sanctuary. And then at right. the end but, of episode right two, now, we see the military is about to make a strike on her. So we know that's yeah. coming. But we, we know it's coming. But I it just as independent episodes, it just doesn't come out very interesting. And frankly, with the introduction of the live action Alvin the Chipmunk, um, they lost me completely. I don't even know where that came from. I mean, all the other kids have been depicted as just 
you know, kids with with antlers or, or ears or a tail or whatever. And and suddenly we have this this CGI or audio animatronic chipmunk child. And it just I, I'm, I'm sorry, but it was, it's just too weird. You said he's a Is gopher. He gopher. OK, whatever. whatever. It, was, it was just anyway, I will. I, I just want to give my thing is I think I love this show. I absolutely love it. It is it is sweet, but it is also really dark at the same time. So it's not like you could be like your kids can watch it. Your kids cannot watch this show. Um, Don't let them watch it Uh, because the premise is basically around killing children. And so I think it's super dark. But I love Sweet Tooth so much. I want to see it through his perspective. And anytime we switch from him it does kind of slow down the pacing and I get, I start to get impatient. I'm like, Oh, can I fast forward this? Um, but sometimes the storyline, you know, cause like this week's episode, we see them sort of kill their neighbor. Like she gets kicked in the chest conveniently by the horse. And then, horsey. and uh, then they're like, well, we're not going to help her. We're just going to hide the body, I guess. I'm not sure what's going on. But yeah, they've gone to the and dark side. I don't side. know how the other neighbors didn't see this happening because it's not like everybody's at work. No one has anything to do but stay home. Yeah, but I also don't feel like that there's that that I don't feel like there's that many people in that neighborhood anymore. So it's Maybe not like not, but who, whoever is there is paranoid as hell and staring out their windows at everybody else. So how she could be killed in the street and no one could see this is just you know this is another one of the things that don't make sense about the writing of the story and that just makes me you know the whole the whole thing just... the whole thing uh, the point of that was them losing their moral superiority like you said that's the we're watching them downslide from their moral high ground but anyway we need to move on uh we've talked about this enough uh i give this show two thumbs up tom you're liking it a lot yep and uh allison two thumbs down so you can count all the oh. thumbs God. Let's she anyway. Knows. Let's she, let's she move knows. on. Let's let's move on. Next up, we're going to talk about legacies. And this week's episode was <laughs> was basically the movie. I was like, wait, wasn't this a movie where you have the cult that are all dressed in Norwegian? Midsummer. <laughs> yeah, midsummer. I was like, wait, I've seen yeah. this this movie, but yeah. So the the part with uh, getting hope to go to this, it's like, oh, we're going to go and get. Uh, Lizzie back, but it was actually a trap to like help Hope, and then they all got caught in the trap because it was actually a cult. And I was like, uh, "Oops!" Um, and I have to say, the funniest thing ever was when they got super high and turned into panda bears. That was hilarious. <laughs> and they played that song. What is it called? I'm so high. Something. Uh, what is the song called? It's something about I'm so high. Mm. You don't know mm. the name of the song. No. I thought the funniest thing was the title. This feels a little culty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty on the nose. That was very accurate. Uh, but yeah, I really, I thought this episode was great because it allowed Lizzie and Hope and um, Josie to say truths to each other because they were trying to break them each out of their cult thing. And they got to speak, you know, some truths out loud. And then they bonded over being super high. And then Darth Vader showed up. And I was like, wait, what? Was what? That, 
What was that about? That was hilarious because I looked at that thing and I went, is that supposed to be some bargain basement Darth Vader? And the next thing is the preview for next week where they are actually doing Star Wars and it's Darth Vader. Yes. And and I'm like, okay, I was kidding, but <laughs> Are they still high? <laughs> oh, really? So I'm, I am I have no idea where well, any that's of that the thing comes I love from, but I look forward yeah. to it. The thing I love about Legacies is they take shows and do homages. And I'm sure my editor is kicking himself that he didn't get the Star Wars episode. He got this episode, and the Star Wars episode is next week. I was like, oh, he must be killing it. He wears Star Wars t-shirts every day to work. I was like, the universe is not fair. As as much as I haven't liked uh, the new uh, Wolf Wolf Girl. Oh, um, oh yeah. Um, whatever her Joseph- name is. Josie's girlfriend, wolf, yeah. Wolf girlfriend. Yeah. Um, I did kind of like that she threw the pool game because she saw how much it meant to watch his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though he's still a meathead. He is. Yeah. He is. I actually liked all of that. I liked the fact that she challenged him because, you know, she he was being, she, He was being a jerk, too. Because he was, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And But, you know, when it came right down to it, well, you know, first of all, she saw how much it meant to him. Second, I don't think she doesn't strike me as the kind who wants to be in charge of nope. anything. She's not that personality. She just and, up. <laughs> yeah, she just wanted respect. And so I think that's you know, that's where she cut it off. And it was absolutely perfect. And it allowed a moment for them to actually get together and and be people toward each other. So instead of rivals. So I really I really like that bit. Did you miss Landon in this episode, Livia? Not even a little bit. <laughs> That's shocking to me. Shocker. Um, I I mean, I like that somebody told uh, Hope that her relationship with him was doomed. As soon as he turned into goo, once you had sex, they're like, yeah, you're done. Like, <laughs> this relationship is not going anywhere. Uh, you're literally toxic to each other. So, you know, you were going to break up. That's just what was going to happen. Um, I got to say, I like the bit where, where, you know, they were looking for MJ and they found the Wendy, the Wendigo. Wendigo. It was like, it's never a Wendigo. It's never a Wendigo. <laughs> I just kept thinking of House where it's never lupus. <laughs> <laughs> it's never a Wendigo. So, so I thought that was really funny. Yeah. And I, I like that... Uh, the principal, uh, Alaric, never lost faith with MG. He always thought that MG was a good guy. Even mm-hmm. when, um, oh God, what is his name? The assistant, blanking. Uh, even when he did, he doubted him. And he was like, we haven't heard MG's side of the story. We don't know what's going on. We cannot judge him ahead of time. And he's like, I learned my lesson. Because this is the thing that he kept getting in trouble with. He kept judging his students without getting the whole story and he made huge mistakes and so he's like i won't do that again um so i really that warmed my heart more than anything else so i thought i liked that a lot uh, it was yeah. a good episode yep all right so thumbs up next up we're going to talk about uh the infinite or infinite which is a movie on paramount plus which you may or may not have heard of i saw it's with mark Wahlberg and chiwetel Ejiofor. And it's a, I saw a trailer for it last week, and I was like, oh, this looks amazing. It was like 
the old guard, but with Mark Warburg. Because basically, instead of being immortals that live forever, the concept is there are these 500 people who keep getting reincarnated uh, into new souls. Like, every time they die, they get reincarnated and they get all their memories back. And so they basically have enough memory and experience for thousands and thousands of years. So I was like, oh, that looks really cool. And all the action sequences look great. Within the first 10 minutes of the movie, I went, uh-oh. Like, this this is not, this is not good. The They explained the concept of the movie, what the movie's about. And I went, oh, this is going to be bad. And it was bad. It's basically the idea that half of these immortals, infinite people... Half of them want, they, they call themselves believers and want to further humanity with their knowledge. The other half call themselves nihilists. I was like, really? You call yourself nihilists? Okay. <laughs> and they want to destroy all life on earth so that they never have to reincarnate again because they're tired of reincarnation. So they make this bomb. No explanation how the bomb works exactly. They're like, we just made this thing that uh, disintegrates DNA and unravels it. And if we set it off, all life on Earth will be destroyed. Yet they have armies and armies of mercenaries that are working for them for money. And I'm like, why would you work for a bunch of people who are literally trying to destroy all life on Earth? You can't spend any of the money, you you know, mercenaries. Like, that doesn't even make any sense. So it just, like they do a voiceover at the top of the movie explaining this instead of actually showing us in the movie what it is. So as soon as they do this voiceover and the little slate that tells you that, I was like, oh no, this is not good. And then in the movie they actually explain it. I was like, why didn't you just wait for the movie to explain it? What's going on? And the only saving grace is Chiwetel Ejiofor is a very good villain. So well, we knew that already. Yes, he plays a really good villain. He's really intimidating. He's scary. He's really good with a sword. So, I mean, go watch Serenity. (laughs) 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 If you want to see him play a good villain in a good story, go watch that. This was not that. So, I have now saved you two hours of your life. There you go. Uh, Next up. Uh, Tom wants to talk about Love, Victor, Season 2, which I never saw Season 1. So, yeah, go ahead, Tom. I didn't uh, Love, Victor is the, is the follow-up to the movie Love, Simon. I think it was the 2018 movie, directed by Greg Berlanti. Uh, the television series is takes place at the same high school, and it's interesting. Love, Simon, Berlanti was set out to do a basically like a gay John Hughes film and the lead character Simon is uh, has a girlfriend who's played by the dead girl from uh, 13 Reasons Why Catherine Langford and then he realizes he's gay and he comes out and it, so and her parents are played his parents are played by Jennifer Garner and Josh Dumas and they're very supportive and although it was well received there were some criticisms that hey, well, they're like upper-middle-class white people. (laughs) And, you know, so what they did for Love, Victor is Victor is Latino, and his family is working class, and the family has moved cross-country to Atlanta, and we find out in the course of season one 
that the mother had had an affair and the parents' marriage was on the rocks, so they figured they'd get a new start. But season one basically replicates everything about the movie, and the girlfriend, Victor's girlfriend is, uh, is a black girl whose father is Mackay Pfeiffer, who's engaged to uh, a white fiancé who's pregnant with his child, the mother abandoned the family, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. And then Victor, uh, Victor realizes he's not gay when he's attracted to one of his co-workers at the coffee shop. He realizes he is gay or it's not gay? He is, he is oh, gay. I thought you said not gay. I was like, what? Said so, not. so season one basically replicates on a massive scale, you know, 10 episodes, five hours, basically, the events of the two-hour movie. Season two is really interesting because they start focusing on the side characters, including his best friend, Betsy Brandt from Breaking Bad, who played Marie, plays his uh, his best friend's mom, who's struggling with manic depressive disorder. And so, and Felix is your, your nerd, that every, the nerd with the heart of gold that people realize is actually kind of hot when he combs his hair. <laughs> and then... Um, the, the first part of season two deals with the fallout of the revelation in the first season finale that Victor is gay. Basically, his girlfriend catches him uh, kissing his soon-to-be boyfriend at this at this school. Awkward. Of, yeah, awkward. And so um, another big thing is that the parents' marriage, the parents separate at the end of season one, and so they're trying to figure out what their relationship is and they bring in Julie Benz from Buffy and Angel to play a potential obstacle to the parents not getting back together. Uh, the dad meets her at a support group, a P-flag, parents and families of lesbians and gays. And then the other big plot line is um, Victor's ex-girlfriend dealing with the fact that her boyfriend was gay and now she feels, you know, I've got nobody and the guy she kind of liked is dating somebody else. So I don't want to give anything away. But it's a really well-observed show. And what's interesting is they kind of leaned into some of the criticisms from the movie where dealing with the fact that this is a working-class family, not an upper-middle-class family, and that they're Latino. And also a big conflict in season two is the mom is on staff at a Catholic church, and the priest is basically telling, telling her that your son needs to get right. And... I thought they dealt with it fairly realistically from what some, I mean, you know, probably the depiction of the church was probably a little bit more accurate with what some Protestant evangelical churches have been their positions on LGBT. But um, it's, it's worth checking out. It's got an attractive cast. It's well-written. It doesn't have a lot of the Berlanti stuff that makes you want to cringe because Things don't taste, stay secret for so long. And they actually, in the finale, they had four of the main characters had to make choices. Of course, we don't know the big choice that Victor's going to make. But some of the choices were kind of surprising. So check it out. It's on Hulu. All right. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about Lupin and the first two episodes of part two of Lupin. Um, and for those of you who are watching, last season ended with uh, Lupin's son, uh, Raul being kidnapped at a Lupin parade party thing. So he gets kidnapped by a hitman who... Like fa- a festival sometimes. A festival, yeah. yeah. So there's a hitman that's supposed to be killing Lupin, but Lupin kicks his butt. So his solution is to kidnap his son to draw him in to a trap. 
And I was like, why did the hitman not have a gun? Because he ends up searching for weapons for like half the first episode. But I was like, I think on the train, Lupin, when he beat him, he took his weapons from him. Um, Mm -hmm. So he had to search for weapons. So the second episode, so the first episode is basically the big showdown at this old house. And Lupin kicks his butt again. (laughs) I was like, you are a terrible hitman. Because even in hand-to-hand fighting, I feel like a hitman should be better at hand-to-hand fighting than a than I mean Lupin's not a regular guy and he's a big dude don't get me wrong but he's a very big guy he's a yes. really big guy uh but I still feel like if you were a very good hitman you should still be able to take this dude out and he was not not even a little no. bit he was so outclassed and so for revenge he decided to set his kid's car on fire the car on fire with the kid inside and I have to say them ending that first episode I really believe they killed the son. And I was like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. That was like, I was like, whoa, this show just got real. Uh, and then they were like, psych, we didn't really kill the kid. And I, was, <laughs> and I actually was okay with that because I liked his I son. I was very okay with that because that would, that felt like, that would change the tone of the, the series completely. Significantly. And I, right. I was like, I was staring at it in shock thinking they, they, they did not go there. They, they could not have gone there. Oh my God. You know, you know, and so yeah. I was, when they finally open up the trunk in the back and they don't find anything but a soda can, I was like, okay, good. I don't care how they did that, but I'm very, very happy. Thank you, show. Yeah. Uh, so I agree because, one, his relationship with his son is super sweet. And mm-hmm. I liked his son. And, yeah, if they had killed his son, I was like, oh, he's about to kill some people. I was like, this is going to be a whole different show. It's like yeah. it's going to be the murder revenge thing happening. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is going to turn into John Wick all the I same. know. <laughs> it's a whole different thing. But the thing that makes this show interesting is how charming he is and how charming. And so his whole thing when he's talking to that cop, he was like, remember, I'm just a thief. It's like, I'm not a serial killer. And all that's true. He never kills anybody. So... Mm-hmm. Um, if they had killed his son, I was like, he's about to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was good. And I liked the conversation at the, oh, of course there's the big thing where he has to steal his son back from the police because the police are a bunch of douchebags. Um, they were holding his son hostage as well to get him to turn himself in, which I was like, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I like how he tricked them into giving his son back. And I like that conversation when Raul was like, realizes that his father's a criminal. He realizes why his father's a criminal. And he's like, you know what? Yeah, keep doing it. I thought that was good. So I'm going to stop talking. Allison, go ahead. I, I I was really, I as much as I liked season one, I loved season two even better. And I, I know we're going to just talk about the first two, but I loved it so much. I was like, I, I could not stop hitting you know play <laughs> just go and yeah so i just marathon right through it in one sitting but it was um what i what i think i loved especially about the the beginning of this is that we've been watching the um the police detective uh, gadira he's you know talking telling everyone okay it's a guy who is imitating lupin 
and this is what he's doing and this is what he is and this is what's going on and nobody will believe him right and so he's been pursuing him all through season one and in season two they really wasted no time finally putting the two of them together right so they've got this this weird tag team and you know he's the the detective still needs to take him in but he but really the, respects him yeah he does he 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 completely understands and respects what he's doing and so there and and he understands that there's something larger going on so you know he's there there are so many moments where he actually helps him instead of hindering him and and they're working you know kind of as a weird team hey and stop giving me spoilers no spoilers first two well, episodes you see that in the very first in the very first two episodes you see that he's helping yeah, but him he, trying to get his kid back yeah well i mean he saw he literally saw a kid get kidnapped so yes he's yes. helping him but he but also he is trying to arrest him, him at the same time. He calls right. the cops and he's like, "We're here, come and get us." So he's yeah. not. There is, the, there yeah. is that dynamic going on of him on the one hand needing to to be a detective and do what what needs to be done, and on the other hand, you know, respecting what he's what what Lupin is doing. Right. So um, I I just I just like the dynamic between them a lot. Um, and as far the as far as the hitman goes, I think the point is that he he is a terrible hitman. He's a terrible hitman. Yes, he's he's an awful hitman, and he's he's as he's more of a liability than an asset. Yes, and, and because so, setting the kid on fire was about being mad that Lupin won the fight, then yeah. like you would use if he was thinking straight, he would continue to use the kid as leverage, but he didn't. He was just angry. So I was like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Pellegrini, as, as horrible as he is, gave him the instructions that the the family is not to be touched. Right. You know, he's, he explicitly said that. So um, I, I think, you know, I mean, he, he kind of rolls with it later when everything is out of control. But it, that's that is his instruction is to not involve them. It's right. just to go after after uh, Lupin. So, yeah, I think I think that's that's going to, you know, play into it. Um, definitely he's just he's 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 a loose cannon is basically what he well we got to wrap that up we're saying thumbs up yes oh way up it's such it's such a great show it's a fun it's it's a really fun fun show and watchable and you know there are things in it that yeah don't make sense because everything would have to go like clockwork and and you know things that would would you you kind of wonder well how is this going to happen this way how can you guarantee it and you just have to turn off that part of your brain and go yeah it just did because it's fun yeah um so but it, but it is really one of the most fun shows on television really, right. really like uh, thumbs up. last thing that i forgot we were going to talk about is a uh, mythic quest so what was interesting because they had a flashback episode last week and then this week they basically had a continuation of the flashback which i don't think they've ever done but well, it was present day well sequel. that's what I, I yeah i didn't say that right yes it was a it was a continuation present day of the flashback but it was great william hurt playing the older version of his friend a part of the tripod and his then they had his what frenemy well the thing is that william hurt didn't realize they were enemies he was like oh we're enemies what's happening and no but but cw oh i know cw really had it in his head and I like that they had the the woman that they were both rivals over. She's dead, and so it's just the two of them, kind of fighting over her memory. 
And it's really sad. Like, it's super sad. The whole... The whole thing. And realizing that CW has basically only been in love with her and everything else that he's done has just been affairs, but it's always been about her for him. And I don't think the friend knew that. He suspected, but he didn't know. And then this all it all came out, and CW was out of control at the beginning of that dinner. I was like, I was really uncomfortable. Yeah, he was. And poor Rachel. <laughs> I was I was uncomfortable for her. That whole thing was just crazy. But I thought that once he woke up the next morning from his alcohol poisoning or whatever, um, it was really sweet. Like, the rest of the episode was just really sweet and heartwarming. I got a little teary-eyed at the end. What I really liked, it was, it was basically about forgiveness. Yes. And... What at the you know at the beginning of the episode when you, you got these two basically geezers for lack of a better term, played by Oscar-winning actors, but you know each is expecting the other to apologize, right? <laughs> and that's not happening. And then um, you know the next day when tempers have have uh, not what's the river subsided, and in a, in a brilliant piece of casting. They cast the same actor to play the mother and the daughter. Right. And she's been Secret Circle or one of the, one of the uh, CW Supernatural shows. But um, I thought that they could really go to the heart of the matter about what was between these two guys and the fact that CW actually had read, you know, where all those books he was tormenting him saying you've never finished a full you know you just wrote a series of novellas that nobody liked and you wrote on your wife's coattails and then we find out that cw had read every one right. and was a fan it's just i really i love this show and i know that every, it's not everybody's cup of tea but it, i really do feel that yes it's set in the world of gaming but it's really about the world of the relationships between these oh, people oh absolutely absolutely and that's why I say at the end when they're having that little moment where he's reading him the book, I was like, "Oh my god!" Over I'm the just sunset, kill him off. I was afraid they were going to kill him off before the episode. <laughs> oh right, yeah, because you find out he's dying and everything. Oh man, it was. Just... And then what he said to him, and he was like, "He's dying," and he was like, "Yeah, good luck with that or something." I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah, that all of it was just it was really good. I, I that's. I've complained about this season of Mythic Quest that it hasn't been as good. And I think these last two episodes just really knocked it out. And I'm really hoping the back end, the last few episodes, really deal with uh, Ian and Poppy. Poppy, I think and, they have. And, I, I really, and if they do that, I think it will end really well. All right, so thumbs up for me. Oh, yeah. So, uh... That's all we have for this week. If you guys have any questions or comments, send them to tbcampfire@gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter on sci-fi.radio, Weenopolis, and iTunes. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.